This is from George Orwell, who was an author, and, and he talks about the price of telling the truth. And he says, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. And that is an absolute fact. <laughs> you can see that. The more you, the society drifts away from the truth, speaking the truth becomes a crime. <laughs> they don't want to hear it. And we see that today. And it just kind of segues us into our message today uh, as we talk about um, the, the simplicity that is in Christ. And it's interesting as we've been talking about this mind and how Satan manipulates the mind, the conclusions of the mind. And then you think about what is he doing? And so what comes to mind as you think about this is I would ask you this question and I could have titled this message this way. What is it that Satan doesn't want you to know? Why does he try to manipulate your mind so bad that he doesn't want you to know this information? It's interesting. Every time you see someone who is trying to manipulate you to keep information from you, well, that just gets my radar up more. I want to know why. Why do you not want me to know this? It's huge, right? What is it that you're trying to hide that you don't want me to know? Well, do you know what Satan's trying to hide? He doesn't want you to live in your position in Christ. He doesn't want that. Now, he'll let you do a lot of religion. You can see it all around. Most of our churches today are engaging in religious practices. Really, a lot of it is just religious works of the flesh. And Satan doesn't mind that. Just keep going on with all this religion. You have your annual days. The women, you know, when I was churches, you wear your whites on certain days, right? Men dress up. Oh, yeah, let you go on with that kind of foolishness. Because it's not affecting who you are. What he doesn't want you to know is who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to live in your position in Christ. You can go to church every Sunday. You can do all of the things that you do. He don't care about that. Stay away from that positional truth. Have you noticed it's the thing that people fight against? I can go out here and I can talk about anything else. I can go into the Gospels and preach the Gospels. I can go into the Old Testament, talk about Moses. People are fine with that. But the moment you introduce the fact that we have been created in Christ and that we have to live in our position in Christ and that's where we experience the grace of God that's where the trouble starts do you realize that you say well why wouldn't you think that every believer would want to know that wouldn't you think that that's okay that's the very thing that Satan doesn't want people to know because he knows if you live in your position it's where the power for living comes from. That's where the power for living comes from. You can grow up, and I did. My father was a pastor for 43 years. I was in and out of churches. Every time the church door opened, I was there. Growing up from a little kid, if I heard one sermon, I've heard a thousand of them. Didn't impact my life. You could say, well, you're just carnal. Well, okay, I, that's fair enough. <laughs> I'll account for that. that. That probably was true. But I never really understood 
what Christ had actually done and the work that he did and the implications of it to my life in the here and now. And if you don't understand that, I think you're just mocking time. I really do. I hate to tell you that. Wish I had better news for you. But I think you're just mocking time. If you're not living in your position in Christ, you're not going to be living by grace. And if you're not living by grace, you're not going to be empowered. And if you're not empowered, I don't know what it is that we're doing. We're just mocking time. That's all we're doing. And that's the thing that Satan doesn't want you to know. So when you look at what was happening at Corinth, he was manipulating the minds of the Corinthians so that they reach wrong conclusions about how they were to live in their present tense salvation. And how was he doing it? Well, I read through the rest of that 11th chapter so that you could see it. He was using false teachers. And these teachers were arguing with Paul. Remember, as you read through 2 Corinthians, there's this um, tension that is going on between Paul and these false teachers. And he's, he's going back and forth with them because they are taking the word of God and they're, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, they are hawking it. And what does that mean for hawking? You take the word and you, it's like taking, if you have uh, gas, you put in some of these gasoline stations, right? I, I've gone to some of these gasoline stations. I didn't know it. Had I known it, I would not have stopped there. And what did they do? There's water in the gasoline. Right? Now, I don't know if they did it intentionally or what. But it's to put something in and mix it in order to make it go further. And this is what they were doing to the word of God. And so Paul then comes to 2 Corinthians 4 and he says, I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So if our gospel be hidden, it is only hidden to those who are perishing. I don't have to convince people to believe. If they don't believe, it's because of the fact that they're being blinded. You see, I don't have to make people believe anything. And so he had gotten to that point. Why? Because these teachers are very skilled teachers that Satan uses to blind the conclusions of the minds. And I think we are at a critical point in America because, as I've seen it, many of the people that I encounter in America are uh, very religious. But you wonder how many of them are really saved. I often wonder, out of this country, how many will actually be raptured out? And you hear these people proclaiming God, America, and apple pie, and all of this. How many of them are really saved? And so, you see that. What does Satan, what is he hiding from you? Why does he, what is it that he doesn't want you to know? Well, Paul tells you over in the 11th chapter, and we'll start with here, in verse 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, he deceived her. And we looked at this, right? He thoroughly deceived Eve. Eve was so deceived, she thought that what she was doing was right. He deceived her, how? By his subtlety. And you have this thing, and we talked about it before, this craftiness whereby people are able to convince you to do things and they're very crafty in how they do it. Um, 
Joyce used to work, and when she was working in Portland for this uh, um, TV station, and in their advertising department, and some of these advertising departments, man, they, they come up with all kinds of ways to get you to buy. And so they understand that it's all in how it looks or how it sounds. It's got to sound a certain way. It's got to look a certain way. And uh, I, I didn't really know when, when we moved to um, Florida and I actually saw of orange. I, and Jeanette, I think Jeanette was the one who gave me some oranges. I'm thinking, that's not an orange. <laughs> well, have you ever seen an orange just coming off, off, the street, off the tree? It's all dirty and grimy looking. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's not an orange. What do they do in the store? They take it and they polish it up. They shine it, make it look really good. And you look at the oranges in the store and the oranges that come off the tree, and you think, hey, what? Right? I mean, and you, could, and you have that. And so this is what these guys are capable of doing, and they do it with the word of God. They polish it and they shine it in such a way, and really in many of the instances they're not saying anything. And that's what we see. And so he says, they buy their subtlety, their craftiness. The craftiness. That's why if I've told the church here, and I'll say it again, I would hate, if anybody says he's a charismatic leader, it would make me puke. I would immediately go home and vomit. <laughs> I mean, that's the kiss of death to say that about somebody. Some people think it's a great thing. I think it's horrible, right? And so, by the craftiness that your mind should be corrupted from what? The simplicity that is in Christ. Or really, you could say the singleness that is in Christ. You see what he's trying to keep believers from? He doesn't want you to understand who you are in Christ. He doesn't want that. And even in the church, he's using all kinds of ruses and, and, and other things to keep people busy. You could do all this other stuff, but he doesn't want you to know that. And we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to be here as saints in this, uh, on this day. Opportunity to be able to serve you another day while we're in these bodies and just would ask that you would help us to have a clarity of mind as we consider these things from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so this issue of simplicity of in, that is in Christ. And so he was corrupting the minds of the Corinthians to direct them away from this simplicity that is in Christ. Now, what is this word simplicity is an interesting word. It's the word hapolitis. And it's uh, I w- a couple of definitions here. We have Vines who would define it as the singleness of purpose that keeps us from the snare of having a double treasure or consequently a divided heart. Uh, you see it used that way. And um, uh, let me show you an example in Ephesians 6.15. Is that you are focused. There's a focus, a directed focus in which <clears throat> your mind is completely focused on accomplishing what it is that's in front of you. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, it's used of masters in the relationship of um, servants to masters. Uh, notice in verse, uh, let's say, 5, 6, 
I think it's 515. Yeah, 6-5, okay, scribal error. <laughs> yeah, so here, and I would put this 6 here, um, again, in the beginning of this chapter 6, I think it goes all the way back to the 18th verse of the 5th chapter, because Paul is talking about what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit. And he doesn't just end there with the relationship between the husband and wife, he actually goes down into other relationships of kids to their parents. And then of a master to the servants to the masters. So all of these are explaining what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit. And so notice in verse 1, he, he, he continues. This would be a continuation of what he was saying about being filled by the Spirit in verse 18 of chapter 5. Children, obey your masters. I mean, excuse me, or your parents. Some kids would think their parents were masters. <laughs> obey your parents. Notice, in the Lord. And so this is really talking to believers here. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, or give full weight, that word honor, give full weight to your father and mother, which is the first commandment of, with a promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou may live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so as a father is spiritual, then his, his relationship with his children is not going to be to irritate them uh, unneedlessly or to provoke them in a way that is not necessary to, to anger. Uh, and notice in verse 5, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto the Lord. And this idea of not having a double focus, but that you're zeroed in on what you're trying to do. And so what are you doing? And so as, as you go out and you're working, you're doing it as unto the Lord. It doesn't really matter what this boss, how bad the boss is or what's happening on the job, because you're working as unto the Lord. And so it doesn't really matter. And so the singleness of mind that you have and being able to do that. Now, I would give the definition of simplicity this way would be my definition. And the sole means provided by God to access his provisions for this dispensation. It is so means of, uh, given by God to access his provisions for this dispensation. And so you don't see any other, any other option, right? There's no other option. There's not law. There's no in-between law and grace. That if I'm not living in my position in Christ and experiencing who I am in Christ, there is no other way. I'm not going to be able to be effective in this life if I don't do that. And so, I don't know, in, in our minds sometimes we think, oh, yes, well, yeah, that's another way. Well, this is the only way that God's provided. That here, and we'll see it in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says the only way I can actually be empowered is by living in my position in Christ, and there's an empowerment I get from living there. Why? Because I can access grace as I live in my position, you see. And there's no other way. And so you see believers who are trying to figure out all kinds of other ways. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. Oh, I've got this problem. And they won't just settle down, live in their position, allow the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in my life. They won't do it. Trying to, they put a lot of emphasis on, this is an ironic thing to me, is how in the world 
Well, I trust an unsaved man to tell me about life, and they have no clue. It's just, it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. Particularly when I read some of the stuff I read that these crazy people think. They're crazy. A lot of them are absolutely off their rocker. And yet, you have believers who would trust that rather than to trust the provisions that God has given for this dispensation. It is unbelievable. And this is what we're faced with. And so this idea of singleness that is in Christ. Now notice this that is in, is it's in translate this idiom that it talks about, and it goes back to what we ended with the last time that we talked about this um, position that we have in the Christ, the body of Christ, in which Christ is the head. And so we'll see it, that from God's reckoning, when Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. When Christ was raised, I was raised. And from God's reckoning, we'll see, he sees me right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, that that's who I am. Do you see yourself sitting there? That's the problem. God sees me there. Do I see myself there? You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. It is a huge deal. And I I don't think that if I can't uh, appropriate that, if I can't count that to be so, that I can ever accomplish what God wants. Because the Holy Spirit is waiting for me to count that to be so as I live in my position in Christ. Now the Holy Spirit comes in and he's able to do the work in my life. As long as I'm not living in my position, then I'm trying to do the work. And the Holy Spirit says, "Ah, okay. I'll let you handle it. You go ahead and do it. And that's what's happening. And so notice in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says this. Now, notice in verse 16, he says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. I just think this is an amazing statement. It's an amazing thing because he says, hey, I don't know anyone any longer according to the flesh. Well, what is our natural inclination to see people on the basis of how they were born into this world or some status that they have in this life? You know, it's an interesting thing. As my brother passed away, as you know, last week, the, the most beautiful thing about that is that he was a believer. Right. Is that I can see him now. He's seated there. He's actually actualized who he was. He's in the third heaven. He's sitting there in the presence of the Lord. And I can see it that way, you see. And that's a, that's a fact that that's true. And so he's leading up to here and he's going to say something that's really st- astonishing. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Now think about that. The word that he uses here actually gives you the, the, the indication that Paul actually knew the Lord personally. I think he was one of these people that were in the Pharisees that were persecuting him. Well, when, he, when, he, when he's on the road to Damascus in the ninth chapter of Acts and he sees this light, I think it just, it just really just 
threw him for a loop. Because what does he say? He says, who art thou, sir, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. Now, I don't think he was just whistling Dixie when he said that. See, I think Paul knew when he says, I am Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. He knew him during his earthly ministry. He was very acquainted with him. And so he says, we, though we have known Christ after the flesh, notice, we henceforth know him no more. Do you know the focus of what Paul talks about is the resurrected Christ in his epistles? He doesn't really spend a lot of time focused on the earthly ministry of Jesus. Have you noticed that? If you, if you haven't, go check. It's always interesting to me as you see people talk about, and they talk about the earthly ministry of Jesus, and a lot of people go through that, and their sole focus is on the earthly ministry of Jesus. Well, you know, there's a lot we know, we understand about that, but do you know what the focus is today? The resurrected and glorified Christ. That he's been raised. And his resurrection, and what does that resurrection mean to you? How does it affect you today in the here and now? That's what's important. And so then he goes on into verse 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, or really it's, so as since a certain one is in Christ, he is a new creature. And it's not the word for, um, I always joke about this when I come to this point. We used to watch Creature Features when I was younger. The Creature from the Black Lagoon was the big thing that scared us to death. And I look at that now, it just looks so hokey. (laughs) But here, it's a creation. It's not creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And notice what he says here. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, so notice here, this um, be in Christ. And I would give it this definition. It is the imputed position accorded believers due to baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. The moment you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and was raised. The Holy Spirit moved you from this position in Adam. And he moved you over into a completely different position in Christ. And God counted the work that Christ have done to be accorded to our credit. So that he no longer sees you as he sees the rest of the world in Adam. He sees you in Christ. Now let's look and see if I know what I'm talking about here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as an example. Man, if you could get, uh, if believers could wrap their minds around this, how much it would change their life. It would just completely change their life. But uh, unfortunately, this is what Satan doesn't want you to know. Look at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all members of that one body being many, so uh, are one body, so also is it's not really is Christ here in the original. You can actually translate it also also is the Christ. 
And remember we talked about the Christ the last time we were together? It's the body of Christ, but it's not just the body. When you see this particular use, it's talking about the body with Christ as the head of the body, you see. This is not the headless horseman here. There's a head. He's the head of the body. And so we've been baptized into that. Notice in verse 13, he says, For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So we're baptized into this body. We're in this position that we have, a new position in which God accounts us to be completely different from how we were born into this world. And, and one of the best things that I, I can say, and so people say, well, how do, how do you recognize? Why do you recognize? Well, you and I do bank transactions, transactions all the time. And those are imputed transactions. You realize that. So as you go to the bank and you tell them to move money from one account to the other, they move it. And as I have always said, you don't see that. Did you go back behind the wall and did they move money and they moved it over there? No, they did it, and mostly it was just pushing a button. And you accounted it to be so, right? Do you know that this is what God has done? That he has moved you from one position into a completely different position, and his reckoning is that you are sitting there at, the, at his right hand in Christ. And so... Notice a result of this in Galatians 3.28, and I think this is very important to know. This is what the problems are in the world system, and I hope that as believers, you and I are not getting involved in this kind of foolishness, because I think it's nothing but world system manipulation of people. And so, as a result of this, look at what happens. Verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ... Did we just read that you were baptized into Christ? Now, this is not water baptism. This is spirit baptism. The Holy Spirit did this, right? He baptized you into the body of Christ. So now notice what Paul is referencing here. As many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So from God's reckoning, as he looks down on this earth, you are clothed in his son. He doesn't see you like he sees the rest of these unsaved people. Actually, as you look at the the, uh, language, from scripture, he sees the rest of the unsaved as being spiritually dead. You and I, as we're living in our position and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work, are living as raised out from among these spiritually dead. You see. And so notice he says. You have put on Christ. Now, notice in verse 28, there is neither or really in him is neither Greek, a Jew, nor Greek. In him is neither bond or free. In him is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So you lose. One of the things you lose when you become a believer is you, you lose your racial distinctions. Did you know that? You will never hear me refer myself to as a black Christian. It's an oxymoron. There is no such thing. You're either in Christ, you're Jesus Jew, Gentile, or you're in the body of Christ. Those are your three options, right? You're either a Jew, you're either a Gentile, or you're in the body of Christ. I would hope 
that we would not be among the people who refer ourselves to how the world sees us. And again, as I said, I'm so dogmatic about that. When I go and fill out an application and they ask me whether it's your ethnic background, I say, it's not on there. (laughs) Other. (laughs) Right. Other. Can I write it in? (laughs) Right? Because you're not going to pigeonhole me to be what the world wants me to be, you see. That's what the world wants you to be. And this is why you have all of the foolishness going on out in the world. And so we have been put in this position. We are part of a new creation. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2 again, just piggybacking on that new creation. uh, In verse verse 10 is where we want to go, but we would start with verse uh, 8. And you have the verbal form of it that tells you about that this is something new. This is something God hadn't done before. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourself, for it is a gift from God, not, and really not out from works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, and notice here, created in Christ Jesus, and I would say, unto see that word unto, I would say because of good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we are created. We, we, we have been, this is a new kind of creation. It did not exist before. Didn't exist in the Gospels. Didn't it get, exist in the Old Testament. God is doing something completely new. And people will say, well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, okay, come on. Let's not be simplistic. That's talking about his nature. It's certainly not talking about his activities. Because if it's talking about his activities, he's taken on a human body, has he not? It can't be talking about his, his uh, activities. Uh, God, one of the things about God's nature is that he's mobile. There's mobility in his nature. He can change his activities. And guess what? He doesn't have to ask you and me. He doesn't really have to ask you and me, what he, can I do this? He doesn't take polls. And he doesn't care about what people think. And so he has. And so now we have this new creation that we're a part of. Created. Why? There's good works that God has provided for us to do. And you guess what? We don't even have to guess about those good works. God had already foreordained. He's already marked off what those good works are going to be. And you and I don't even have to worry about it. The Holy Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, will walk you into those good works that God has already ordained for you to accomplish. All he needs for us to do, focus our position. Our position. Do you know that's what Satan does not want you to know? You can play church. You can go to church every Sunday. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to know that. And he's got teachers all over this world and churches all over this world to keep you from knowing it. And to keep you from understanding how potent it is to know this. And so notice he says, this, we in, back in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we are a new creation and that 
<coughs> excuse me, 17, that word new is a new kind of creation. So that was Adam and Eve was created. This is a new kind of creation. It's a new kind. There's nothing like it. This is completely new. <laughs> and he says, Behold, all things have passed away, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Now notice in this creation, there is a promise of life. Notice, if you would, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Second Timothy uh, one in verse one. When you look at the introductions and in the books and then the salutations, don't just read through them like they're just stuff that they just added in there. Just you know, we say a lot of stuff that don't matter. There's no, no wasted words in scripture. <laughs> There's no wasted words. Notice what Paul says here in his introduction to Timothy. He says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life. And where is that life is? Where is it life? In Christ Jesus. That there is a kind of life that is promised. Uh, and notice that, that life is in Christ Jesus. And so you have two kinds of life that we can actually construct as you look at Romans and look at other uh, texts. You have resurrection life now. In which I see myself as being raised together with Christ. If, uh, Romans chapter 6. I've been raised together with him. I died together with Christ. I was buried together with Christ. I am now raised together with Christ. This has all happened in the spiritual realm. In which God counts these things to be just as much of a fact. As if I were to walk out that door as a fact. This is how God sees it. So I have resurrection life in which I'm raised together with Christ. And now also, as I live in my position in Christ, what else happens? I have eternal life. And that eternal life is a result of Christ indwelling me. And as I live in my position in Christ, the Holy Spirit produced that life that is in me as a result of Christ indwelling me. And it can be seen out in this human body. Getting a picture of why Satan doesn't want you to know this. This has never happened before. That God's kind of life can be seen out in human flesh. And the only way that it's going to be seen out in human flesh is when you and I stop. Stop all of this stuff. What was the woman back some years ago, Susan Powdrow, that had the Stop the Insanity Movement? <laughs> Remember her? And that's what's happening. It's all the stuff that the church is telling people to do, but they're not telling them to live in their position in Christ, that they might experience the grace of God, that the Holy Spirit might produce God's life in you. And how does that life look? Well, it's seen out in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's what God is wanting. Do you realize that's what he's wanting? And you go into a lot of churches, it always strikes me that as you go into churches and it's all about programs. All about some program they're trying to get accomplished. What about the program of teaching believers how to live by grace? 
And so you have these structures that, that take precedent over it. And so, and notice he said in that one, and going back to that verse one, he says, the, according to the promise of life, this according to is according to a standard of measurement to a promise that God made to uh, believers of this life being possible. God promised that this life was possible. And it's not talking about in the here and now. I think, he, I mean, in the future. I don't think he's talking about here in the hearing now. And notice um, what the simplicity offers. And let's just look at some of the things here that the simplicity in Christ offers and why Satan doesn't want you to know it. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul starts off and he, he gives an indication of what we were before we were saved. So God chose us in eternity past, but even though before we were saved, do you know we were just like the rest of the unsaved? Well, notice what he says here in verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this Age. It's really that word world is age. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, or the one energizing in the mature sons of disobedience. That word children is actually the word huyas. It's the mature sons of disobedience. These unpersuadable mature sons, they're manipulating everybody in the world system. They're just manipulating and causing havoc in the world system. And we were just like everyone else. We ordered our life, our habit of life, after their dictates. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversations. That word conversation is our habit of life, our thing that we did over and over and over again in times past. And the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, I think this is interesting here. I mean, this is, here's a lot of psychology here. That the sin nature has its own desirous will. Did you know that? And so does the thoughts as they go through the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So perchance, if God had not saved us before the, uh, the tribulation period hit, we would have experienced the wrath of God just like anyone else. But obviously that wasn't going to happen. Why? Because it wasn't in the script. (laughs) Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together. Say the word quickened. Made us alive together with Christ. And so you have that preposition, that soon preposition with uh, the word uh, zoporeo, and this being made alive together with Christ, by grace are you, you saved, or having been saved, and notice he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've always said, so here's what God says, right? That we've been raised up together, made sit together in heavenly places, and you're looking at yourself, and you say, well, Look like I'm on earth. Well, from God's position, from a positional point of view, there's the reality that my physical body is here on earth, but my 
appointment, my residence is in heaven, is in the third heaven. I believe this is so important that the, to the degree, and I've always believed, to the degree that you can wrap your mind around this will be the degree that you will actually allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And a lot of people just won't let it go. They won't let it go. They won't let it go to see themselves the way that God sees them. They're so enamored with their position. And one of the easiest things to see is race. I, I shudder when I hear people say this, this the black church or the Chinese church or the Korean church. There is no such thing. And if you see yourself that way, you're not looking at yourself the way that God sees you, you see. You're not. You are not. And so, as I live now, if, if I can see myself this way, and I live there, the Holy Spirit can actually work through me. But as long as I don't see myself there, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to try to, be do, I'm going to, try to do it my way. Somebody had, I think it was Pastor Dave, when he was doing the Will of God series, brought up the um, Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. You ever looked at the words of that song? I pulled it up one day. Totally self-effort. He said, oh yeah, I did it my way. I had a lot of problems. Everything went wrong, but hey, at the end of the day, I did it the way I wanted to do it. <laughs> he talks about all the things that went bad. But that doesn't matter. What really matters is I did it my way, the way I wanted to do it. No matter how, what it brought, how much pain it brought, no matter how much trouble it brought, I did it my way. And that's where a lot of people are. Here's God's way. That's what Satan really was corrupting the minds of the Corinthians not to know. Well, hold your finger there as we look at this and just turn back to 2 Corinthians 11 because I do want to point this out and we hadn't dealt with it. Notice how what he introduced to try to distract their minds from that. <laughs> and you can see it today. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says in verse 4, For since a certain one comes to you and they preach another Jesus... It really is another of the same kind of Jesus. I'm always leery when I hear people talking about Christ doing his earthly ministry. Not that it's not a historical fact. It is. But it's about how using that as almost a way of living today. Do you know as you get into the New Testament, the focus is upon Christ, Jesus Christ, the one who died and was raised and resurrected. So you have these people who talk about Jesus. And it sounds like they're really religious. Or they got it all together. But if you notice, they never talk about his resurrection. Nor their relationship to his resurrection. They never really mention it. They talk about Jesus, and notice he says, and which we have not preached, are you receive another, really it's a word heteros there, a different kind of spirit. A different kind of Holy Spirit, which we have not preached. And so you listen to a lot of people in their views of the Holy Spirit today. A lot of people don't really talk about the Holy Spirit as a second, a third person of the Godhead. They see him as some kind of a force. 
right? It just slaps you and takes you over and slays you in the spirit. This kind of foolishness that people talk about. They're not talking about the Holy Spirit of the Bible. And yet, you have people, and, and I have encountered that, that think that they are really, it's ironic, and I've come to appreciate it, you have people who are doing things that are clearly out of the works of the flesh, and they think that they're more spiritual than you are, even though you're going by what Scripture says. And other people will look at them as being more spiritual than you. And what they're doing is nothing but works of the flesh. It is what it is. And so a different kind of spirit, which you have not accepted, uh, and a, excuse me, you have not received, and a different gospel. Now, I believe here he's talking about the gospel for good uh, present and salvation. That there's a good news that Paul preached about how to live by grace. Right. And I think that this is what they are preaching, a different kind of good news about how to live by grace. And that uh, these teachers were teaching all of this. And what was the intent to drive people away from the reality of what God has done and who we are in Christ and living in that position in Christ and how the Holy Spirit is able to empower us as we're able to live there. And so. What does he say in Ephesians 6? We've been raised together. We've been seated together. All of this is a result of our position in Christ. Notice in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. So here in uh, Romans chapter 3, Paul says, and he's talking about uh, the law and how there's something better than the law has occurred. And uh, justification is not out from works of law. Today, And so notice in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law. And just by the way, I don't see anyone with yarmulkes on or anything like that. Nobody's been to a synagogue lately, right? Law was given to Israel. It was given to Israel. Check Romans 2, 2 and uh, verse 15. You're not under law and have never been under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world might become guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds of law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. Already, one of the things that the law did was that it was to reveal to Israel that they had a sin nature. You see, remember back in Acts 9, I mean, um, Exodus 19, Israel said to God, all you tell us to do, we can do. This is what people are saying today. And what did he do? He gave them the law. The law was to show that they couldn't do everything that he wanted them to do. They couldn't do it. And neither can you. And anytime you hear somebody say that they are obeying the Ten Commandments, they're being dishonest to themselves. And I like the way Dr. Schaefer used to say it. Follow them home and see if they're actually living by the Ten Commandments. You could put up a good show on the outside. But can you do it 24-7? You can't. And so, now he says, the law is a knowledge of the sin nature. It reveals in me, when the law says, don't do this to Israel, it revealed that they had a sin nature. You could see that in Romans chapter 7. That's what Paul came to the conclusion of. Now notice, he says, but now, the righteousness of God without law is manifested. 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, they prophesied that God was going to do this in this time, that there was going to be a period in which there was justification totally apart from law. You see, this is not something that just came out of the blue. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all sin, really you could translate it, all sinned. When did everybody sin? In Adam. You and I were counted to have sinned in Adam. And here's the reality of it. And keep on falling short. I wouldn't just say at one point fell short. Keep on falling short of the glory of God. Being justified freely. How? Say we're justified being made right. How? By his grace. It's not what you and I can do. It's the grace that we have because of what Christ has done on our that's how we're made right. And I, I don't know how many times you can see that for a lot of people, they just constantly in their minds, they are in a fight in their minds because they don't see themselves as being right. They don't see what God has done in Christ. And so they're trying to figure this out themselves and they are just driving themselves batty. Trying to reconcile what Christ has already done that you cannot do. And this is why I always say with people who say, well, I'm just no good. Yes, you are. You're no good. Ain't none of us any good. Not one single one of us. We all are no good. But Christ is. And it's not on the basis of what I have done. It's the verse of what Christ has done. So notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So this word, uh, and I stop right there because in your original, and if you had it in a linear, you could see that that's not in the original text. And many of your translations add the rest of the per- the, that in there. Really, ironically, the NIV gets it right. As Scott smiles about that. <laughs> it gets it right. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Period. There is no, nothing else attached to it. And so this word condemnation is the word catacrima. And so I'll give you a couple of definitions here of what that uh, translates. So J- Joseph Thayer translates it, to judge worthy of punishment. To be judged worthy of punishment. And uh, Vines gives it this uh, definition. The sentence pronounced with a suggestion of the punishment following. And so the believer who believes the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and was raised. And now you understand who you are in Christ, that Christ has already done the work. Do you know for that believer, there is not going to be some judgment worthy of punishment. Christ has done the work. And it's because of the work that he did that we're seeing is not condemned. And that's a huge thing. Do you think Satan wants you to know that? Absolutely not. I have encountered over the last 23 years a lot of believers who are prisoners in their own minds. 
they're prisoners in their own minds. They've done some things in the past or have done things and, and they cannot escape their own condemnation that is driving them batty. And they don't understand. Christ has already done the work. He's provided a way for you to deal with anything that you've done. Anything that happened before you were saved, gone. Anything happens in the here and now, 1 John 1, 9 provides for that. And they cannot reconcile this in their minds. They are prisoners of their own minds. And they won't let it go. And it's, it's just one of the most tragic things. And so this uh, ideal of the, the believer is not condemned in Christ. Notice, there is no condemnation to them. Was it a blanket? Was it open? Notice the, he, puts a, 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 uh, he puts a category on it. For those in Christ. In Christ. And if I were you, as you have the opportunity to mark those, I would, because there is so many, we're just dealing with a smidgen of the instances of in Christ things that are said in the New Testament and the effects of them. Uh, nothing can separate us, as you see in Romans eight thirty nine from the love of God. And notice, where is that love found? In Christ Jesus. Notice as Paul talks about it, and he goes through all of these different categories Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors that, um, through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that's going to be able to separate the believer from this position that we have that God has brought about through the work that Christ has accomplished. Nothing. It's, the question always comes up, and you have a lot of people who believe that I could lose my salvation. I'm sorry you feel that way. Because if you feel that way, you actually believe that you were the one that was responsible for your salvation. If you were responsible for your salvation, I guess that would be the case. But what I read in scripture is you weren't responsible for it, so you can't actually cause yourself to lose it. God did it, you see. And you're not bigger than him. And so we see it in um, Justice on the Side. So 1 Corinthians 11 says that, you know, so this is a, a lot of believers will do things and they get into themselves involved in sin <clears throat> and things, and they say, well, I've, I've done things and God's not going to forgive me. No. 1 Corinthians 10 says, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. Now, if you judge yourself, the Lord's not going to have to step in and judge you, right? How do you judge yourself? 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, you pretend that there's nothing wrong. Oh, no, I haven't done anything. No. Maybe if you do it openly, the church has to step in and say, hey, what, you know, what you're doing here is not good. And then maybe, if that doesn't work, in which a lot of churches are not stepping in, you have things going on in churches today. We were just talking about last week, there was a church, the guy, pastor's been with four different women in his time at the church. Church hasn't done anything about it, not raised one, they've not done one single solitary thing about it. 
Well, you know what they say? Well, we're not supposed to judge. But well, yeah, that's really misapplying scripture. That's not what it says. So then maybe the Lord has to step in, right? And what does he say? When we're, when we're um, judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we won't be condemned with the world. And why does he do it? Because you're in the family, right? When my mother came out and she would discipline us when we had kids over, she would come out and say, her thing, and I told you what happened. The worst discipline she had for me was bringing me in as she was watching the soap operas. <laughs> that was one of the worst tortures. That was child abuse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> watching as the world turns. <laughs> so, but the Lord will chasten you, and He's going to discipline you. He's not going to allow you to con- continue in a state in which you're going to do what you want to do. And if he has to intervene, he will. Why? Because he's not going to allow you to be condemned with the world. Galatians chapter 2, you see the last thing that we want to talk about is that in Christ there is freedom. Freedom from the sin nature. That we've been freed from the sin nature. This is not, this freedom is not talking about, I've been free to do whatever I want to do. Well, whatever I decide to do. There was a guy, a gentleman that I was talking to about, um, Christianity, and he told me the other day, oh, I think that if God just puts you here and he lets you do whatever you want to do, right? No, well, no, I don't see that in Scripture. And so here, this is freedom from the sin nature. Now, notice, the thing that was really, and, and really affecting the unsaved man is they have a fallen nature. And it really affects the decisions and the things that they do. And so we have been set free from that. Now, notice, uh, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, you see this word for um, freedom, and Paul talks about it uh, as a relationship to Judaism. In verse 1, he says, then 14 years, he's talking about giving his background of how he came to know the things that he did. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that preach, uh, uh, them that uh, Gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privily to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should have run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, was uh, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of the false brethren unawares brought in uh, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. And so this word for freedom here is the word aletheia, and it's liberation from constraint of that which has kept men in bondage of some sort. And so uh, for the Jews, they were under law, and the law kept them in bondage. For before the Gentiles, before we were saved, all of these people who are unsaved are in bondage. And you know what the thing that is holding them in bondage more than anything else? It's the fallen nature of man. It is binding them. And you have all of these people with all of these different kinds of drug addicts and alcoholics and all of these things. A great majority of this goes right back to the fallen nature of man and the sin nature of man. And they can't overcome it. We've been set free from that. We've been set free from our sin natures. Why have we been set free from our sin natures? 
so that we can serve ourselves? Notice what Paul says in the fifth chapter. In verse 1 he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now here it relates to Israel, these Judaizers who were wanting to go back under law. He says, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. This is an interesting thing. These people who say that they can do the Mosaic law, they have to do every last one of them, right? You break one of them, you break them all. Then notice in verse 4, he says, Christ has become of no effect to you, whosoever who are justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh or really is energized by love. Verse 7 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, You did run well. Who hindered you? that you should not obey the truth. And so what was happening here with these churches? You had, again, these teachers that came in, these Judaizers, trying to put these Galatian churches back under law. And before they came in, they were living by grace. And he pictures this, that they're running a race, someone cut in on them, and it took them back in the other direction, into living by law. And he says, verse 8, This persuasion comes not from him that calls you, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you be no otherwise minded, but he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would they that were, uh, they, they, I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. Verse thirteen. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion for the flesh or for the sin nature, right? And what is the whole point of us being called into liberty, to being free or set free from our sin natures, that we might be able to serve one another by means of love, to serve as a slave? Do you know one of the biggest impediments as even in the church, for us as believers, to serve in each other, fallen nature. Go back to Corinth. What was happening? They were carnal. What was happening? Divisions, strife. He just worked all the works of the flesh. These are all works of the flesh. So when I'm not spiritual, then I'm going to be carnal, and as a result of being carnal, there's going to be problems. Right? These are things that Satan does not want you to know. He doesn't want the believer to know this. This is why he works hard with teachers who are in the church to teach things and to direct people off into programs and all kinds of other things that have nothing to do with your spiritual growth. Are you living in in relationship to our Lord and Savior? None. It's not doing works that causes these things to happen. 
you, as you live in your position in Christ, are able to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides you to do the works that he wants you to do. Well, that might be inconsistent with the, church, the works of this local church. You can't do that. You're supposed to be doing what everybody else does. Right? No, you're supposed to be led by the Spirit in everything that you do. And this is why if people don't, don't feel led to come out to what things that we have here, don't do it. Don't do anything you do not feel led to do. Right? That you're being led by the Spirit. That's the premium thing. And so this was, was happening in Corinth. So you had these Corinthians, and Paul was contending with these, believe, these uh, false teachers who had convinced the Corinthians to give up their position in Christ. It's the source of everything and how we operate in this life. Let me close with one more scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I meant to get this in here. And so remember when Timothy had his problems and uh, notice he was a spiritual coward? Paul could have easily, I guess today he would have told him to uh, consult somebody, go get some help, Timothy. Better go get you some psychological help, right? That's what he would have told him. He didn't tell him that. And notice in verse 1, Timothy is suffering from cowardice. He was fearful. I believe this was satanic. In verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Now notice what he tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong. And I just think that this, this translation just really doesn't do justice to the word that is used here. Right? So what does he tell him? Be empowered. And how does that empowerment occur? By the grace. And where is that grace experienced? In Christ Jesus. As you live in your position in Christ, you see yourself the way that God sees you and me, there is an empowerment that you gain from grace as the Holy Spirit is able to work in your life. And you see what it deals with? It's even able to conquer spiritual cowardice. Do you know you can't overcome Satan unless you're living in your position in Christ? You can't even put on the armor. One of the first things it says in, in Ephesians chapter 16, be empowered by grace. Or in your position in the Lord. That you have to actually be overcoming or living in your position in Christ to even be able to overcome Satan. It's crucial. Of course he doesn't want, he didn't want the Corinthians to know that. He didn't want them to know that. Every time you see a situation when people are trying to tell you, don't look over here. You know, we got certain places in our house that we don't want you to look in. Because sometimes you come in there and I just throw all of the stuff together and it's not clean. Oh, don't look in that door. <laughs> right? You guys don't do that at your house, but I do. Don't look at that, right? And then that makes you want to look at what's in there. <laughs> right? <laughs> Satan did not want the Corinthians to know who they were in Christ. It was the solution to what held them. And you had false teachers who were contending with Paul to direct them in a completely different direction. 
And this is why he tries to corrupt the workings of the mind to direct believers away from this because it's so potent and it causes you and I to operate in the way that God wants us to in this life. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful as believers that we have the opportunity to be empowered by grace and as we live in our position in your son and we account those things that he has already done that we can be at ease and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us and through us as we're able to be led by the Spirit to do those good works that you've allowed for us to be uh, a part of in your plan and purposes. So we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.